Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. This is Aaron Percival, aka Corporal Hicks, and joining me as always. Oh, I didn't I didn't think of a themed thing for this one. What are water scientists called? Hydrologists? Marine biologists if you're studying life in the water, but No, no, but it's it's not no, no, study of water. Here we go. Hydrology. So yeah, it's gotta be hydrologists. I've never heard of that, but okay, sure. So joining me are fellow hydrologists. Adam Zeller, aka Richtop. Eric Adams, aka Xenomorphine. And making her second appearance is another community guest star back for another alien comic. Suzy Bubbles or my real name, Natasha. <laughs> we are back talking alien as we are want to do on these lovely Sunday evenings. What are we talk about today, Adam? We are talking about the recently concluded Marvel Alien Arc Thought, which is the fourth main arc. We are also including in our little review here a new Alien Annual, which is tied to this arc. And that just came out this past week, I believe. As of recording, yeah. That one actually has a name. I like it. Regicide. I did not notice that. You have to look up, like, the paperback listing to find the names of these arcs. It was in the comic. It was somewhere in the title page. But this is the first new writer on Marvel's Alien run. So this entire arc and the annual were written by Declan Shelby, who, by the time you're listening to this, you should have also listened to our previous podcast with, and we, Adam and I, had the pleasure of uh, chatting to Declan, which I think says a lot about probably Adam and I's thoughts on the comic that we... Yeah, usually we find a comic worthwhile if we do two podcasts on it. I mean, I can think of Thicker Than Blood, where we interviewed the writer for that, as well as did a review podcast, so happens here and there dust to dust as well yes and of course you know the writer has to say yes as well but yeah we did actually go for invite Declan on the show because we enjoyed it and we don't tend to bother unless we enjoy the comics that we're going to be talking about so a little bit of a spoiler Adam and I at the very least like Alien Thor Adam as you've freshly read it do you want to give us a brief rundown no, you said you were going to, and I'm holding you to it, so don't you try and weasel out of it. You said... Don't you try and crawl, and, crawl in the vents was, away from me. Your excuse was, as you've read it fresher than I have. Well, I did it last time, so it's your turn, and I'm holding yeah, you to but it. I did, I did it first. <laughs> Everyone's passing the Boys, bark. boys, please. <laughs> what we should do is we should actually be prepared, write up a summary before we're good to go, and then just read it. As much as you hate doing it, Aaron, you are better at it than me. So take it. <sighs> I just find summarizing so boring, I'll be honest. Okay. So written by Declan Shelby with art by Andrea Bricardo. Coloring by Triona Farrell for issues one to four with Ruth Redmond also taking over in issue four and five. Thor is set on a water moon and is uh, focused around a family of three the lead scientist and mother is Batya, stepdad dayton and batia's daughter zasha and they're basically there just trying to apparently find the what's the opposite of edible inedible no as in water wise sorry the opposite of edible drinkable looking for drinkable Consumable. water I think you're right. I, I think the artist's name, by the way, is, is Andrea Bricardo. So apologies. We know I'm terrible with names. It makes no difference. 
But yeah, they're, they're basically there trying to find drinkable water as a source for the ever-expanding human sphere. But what they find in the ice is a facehugger. And they bring it back. It turns out that the scientists have been left on the moon for far too long. They're well past their due date to return home. Bacha is pregnant as well. And she tries to leverage the discovery of this facehugger to get their employees, Tabit Engineering, to come and give them a lift. But all that does is it Wailing Jutani intercept as they do with their very above-board communications, and purchase Talbot Industries, Talbot Engineering, sorry, and come and try and take everything. Things go awry, ex- things are exploded, people get chest-bursted and face-hugged, and we're introduced to a very interesting new variant of the alien that we know has been nicknamed the Submorph by the writers and the artists, the creative team working on it. And it also turns out that Batcher has injected herself with some thing to do with the alien. It's not really defined in here and it doesn't need to be defined, but it's something to do with the alien because there's something wrong with the baby, basically. And she doesn't think it would survive a trip into orbit. And she was obsessed with the alien, it turns out, all this time. that They'd found like bits and pieces of them from under the ice and she injects herself with it to try and sort whatever's wrong with her unborn child but instead it just induces her and she gives birth to a dead alien human hybrid and and kills her yeah as far as we know yeah it won't be dead you reckon i don't know i mean they had that little shot of its hand like it, it felt a little anticlimactic for it to just die right there so i'm wondering if it does come back in the next arc which we know is going to be a follow-up of this one so It'll be like the tri- Shaw's Trilobite thing. You know, it comes out, it looks dead, but then surprise. And then it also turns out that Dayton was actually an android who had assumed the identity of Zash's dead father because of uh, Batia asking him to. And I'd hate these summaries, Adam. They're fucking boring. And I think it's a boring part of listening <laughs> okay, to other people. We'll write it up next time. All right. If you're listening to this, you should have just read it. Okay. But yes, basically, is what I'm, I'm getting at. I, I don't expect people to be listening to these podcasts unless they've already read their things, because it's spoilers galore in our little discussions, is it not? Oh, by the way, spoiler warning. Yes, as we do with these. But yeah, I mean, the story focuses on this family unit, and it's is interesting, especially Zasha herself, right? Like, I kind of was reminded a bit of, of Alien Echo, you know, the scientist family kind of thing focused on a young person. But do you want to lead us off into initial thoughts, mini thoughts? Sure. So I enjoyed this a good bit. I don't think it's like outstanding, but I think as far as the Marvel Alien comics are concerned, given the rocky ones we started out with, they've been moving in the right direction. I think Icarus was a step up over the first two arcs, and I think this is a step up over Icarus. I think the art was fairly solid. There were a few panels with the aliens where I was like, I don't know about that one, but mostly i was pretty satisfied with the art i thought the human artwork was was interesting it was stylized it was almost like a little anime feeling but not really but yeah overall i would say fairly solid i'd say for me to give it a score now i'd probably say about an eight fairly solid fairly entertaining there are a couple points where it just feels like they're running around the facility and stuff is happening so yeah i i do feel like it it kind of maybe got lost a little bit but i thought the ending was was fairly solid and the whole family dynamic maybe something i could personally relate to a little bit you know when you lose a parent and your surviving parent remarries there's an interesting kind of dynamic there i guess but yeah i quite enjoyed it eric how about yourself 
I'd say it's probably the the best of Marvel's run so far. I've in, I've enjoyed this one the most of what they've released so far. The first issue starts off really quite strong. I quite like the first issue. It had those vibes of the thing, not just because of the ice, but it had that kind of self-contained small thing. I think it feels very isolated as well in the same way that the thing. Yeah. The second issue, not as strong as the first, but I was still liking it. But then after that, it was it felt like Adam said it was kind of like people rushing around, things happen, things blow up, aliens attack. I was hoping for more of a horror vibe to it, like one alien or couple would get freed and then maybe the story would veer into instead of attacking the humans maybe they would sense their brethren are locked up in the ice and there would be this subplot with them well why aren't they going after us oh that's what they're doing it could have led into that which would have been more interesting instead what we got was a drill drills down instead of them being encased in solid ice it's like an air pocket so they all get released at once and then crazy things happen and it kind of goes into that generic aliens attack people kind of thing you get some chest bursting there's a potentially interesting thing with a face hugger but it went in a very predictable way by the end of it i was kind of like think it didn't live up to its own potential numbers the first couple of episodes issues i would rated it something like maybe eight out of ten ish and it ended up more like a six out of ten so my score kind of veers unfortunately sizzy how about yourself i liked it i was i was entertained by it i liked the setting a lot just kind of on the ice and the water just like the idea of that's really cool kind of like some of you guys had said how it was felt very spooky and isolated the icy aliens were kind of an interesting idea. I don't know if you guys gave them a name. I know they have like an official name from the artist, but I called them the icy aliens or yeti aliens because they kind of looked like they were like spiky and fluffy, which was kind of interesting. Where did the winter morph name come from, Aaron? Because didn't we think it was that before it was submorph? Yeah, I think that's what Andreas said they were in one of his uploads. But then Declan corrected us on the interview and they, they were known as submorphs while he was writing. Submorphs because they're underwater? I assume so. Oh, okay. It was interesting. It was kind of weird how it kind of, like you guys said, how the aliens just started fighting each other. And it, it, it's like the, the comic went from like kind of spooky and like isolated, which I really liked. And then it just dialed it up to 11 and just everything happened at once. And I was like, oh, what, what's going on? What happened to these people? Oh, they're all dead? Okay, cool. And then like the one, was it the, the corporate, the Weyland-Yutani corporate guy? Wendell something disappeared and then and then died <laughs> at the very end i don't know i'd probably like depending on i i do want to give it a like a seven or an eight i don't know we'll we'll see maybe maybe as we discuss this i might change my mind a little bit <laughs> fair enough so i really really enjoyed this run it's a seven or an eight for me i had very little to complain about with it i think there was only one particular moment that i didn't like and that was when well, one of the aliens causes the convoy to crash and there's a big explosion outside and the people reporting in are asked, what's what's gone wrong? And one of them goes, I don't really know. It's too far out to tell. And it completely neglects to mention the big ass explosion that they've just witnessed and all the flames that they can see outside. So it was 
rolled over a little bit on. And that's really my only real gripe with the series. You know, I love how it starts off with this very thing, isolated, cold and enclosed kind of vibe to it. And I love how it all just fucking everything goes to shit. I love it. You know, having being very immersed in Dark Descent at the minute, I've got this very real appreciation for that little moment that just sends everything into chaos. And I think that's so aliens in feel. And I love it when it happens in here because it seems like this completely under control. The Wayland yutani guys are all, they've got it all under wraps and then everything just fucking goes to shit. It's full of really gorgeous moments in here. You know, that panel of the POV of the chestburster looking up through Harrison's chest, I think his name is. Well, one, one of the Wayland yutani commandos. You know, it's fucking brilliant. I loved it. There's some great shots of the submorph. There's lots of lots of little things in this that I just absolutely love. Artwork, I agree with Adam, you know, there were some moments with the alien where it kind of felt like they weren't a part of the artwork. They were floating. It felt like layers. It felt like layers in the artwork. And that tends to be the ones where there's just quite a few aliens on the page, on the panel. And it tends to be the ones a little bit further away. But in general, you know, I loved a lot of Andrea's artwork in this. I think the colorist, you can notice the change in styles. The first three Unabit issues are, as Adam sort of described, a little bit anime-ish in the colouring. It's very a lighter sort of palette. But then in the last issue in a bit, it's, it's a lot darker. It feels a little bit less stylized. Still works, but I think I kind of preferred that paler colour palette in the first few issues. Like more subdued colours rather than the bright colours, yeah. But that's not to say that the last two issues were bright as well. It was just a different tone to the colours. But yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. Let's start picking on specific things for this one. So is there any particular aspect of Thor that people wanted to address first? Well, I know, Aaron, that you very much appreciated the dog catchers or ape suits. Oh, yes. I love the ape suits. And it was cool to see a squad of those like take their helmets off and you get to know them as characters a bit more. So it's not just your typical Marine unit. These are mercenaries for Waylon Yutani. But we do have a bit more characterization for them than I feel we might normally get. So I did enjoy that aspect of it. And it was interesting in that, you know, one of the things we asked Declan about was, was this you? Did you shout out that these guys are Wayland yutani commandos? And it's one of those one moments where we sort of learn how much the artist can also contribute towards the story because all that design, that element of it came from Andrea. Declan just wrote general marine type people. And then suddenly the artist knowing his lore and background and going, let's make these fucking Wayland Yutani commandos brings a little bit of an element to it because I love the design of the ape suit. I always have. I know it's impractical as shit as a armor to go against the aliens, but as the expanded lore has started to make them out to be, these are all-purpose... I forget what the E stands for. Is it all-purpose environmental suits? Something like that. They're supposed to be a general sort of armor that the Wayland yutani and some of the other military forces in the wider law now use. So it kind of works a little bit better that, yes, these might not be the most ideal specific alien catchy uh, uniforms to go in for, but... It's a visual thing that's expanded out quite nicely, as Adam says, because we then get to know these characters and learn a little bit more of sort of people working for Wayland Utani. It's a small thing, but it meant a lot to me. And there's a lot of little bits like that in this comic that really pull it all together for me. You guys have any thoughts on the commandos? It was, as you said, it was nice to see them in there. 
just something related. It was also nice for this to be one of those stories which instead of falling back on the whole the xenomorph, it's a xenomorph what XX one two one thing as well. But um yeah, I agree with you. I'm someone who is not a fan of the suit design, but I really appreciated that they included it because that is that's in canon. That's how the Wayland Utani people are. It's really nice seeing them. I really liked it. Also, personally, I thought when I opened that page and it was like them busting down coming through, I was like, oh, those are the from Alien 3. I was like, that's the ape suits. And I like even like I was like, wait a second. I looked on my phone. I was like, those are the ape suits. I thought it was uh, pretty cool because I feel like a lot of time when there's kind of like any type of military or whatever, it's always like the space marines. It's like, oh, they hired the space marines or whatever. So it's kind of nice just to see something from Alien 3, I guess, because I do really like Alien 3. So that was pretty nice for me as well. It's nice to have the visual differences as well. It's like you're saying, Tizzy, with them just looking like Marines. You know, that was something that I think Bloodlines suffered with, was they had these Wayland yutani security forces and they rock up looking no different than a cloning Marine. And in some ways, it can feel like a bit of a cheap remember berry, trying to associate things with stuff that might not necessarily fit. Remember aliens? Everyone liked that. These aren't the same kind of people, but they are kind of the same. So yeah, you enjoy this. So it being visually different, I think, adds another layer to it that makes it seem a bit more seriously thought about. Even if, you know, in this one, it is the artist that's made that conscious decision, but it's still a great decision. And again, we underestimate what the artist can bring to these things when they're contributing on that level. Yeah, I, I thought it was also interesting kind of continuing on with the, the family dynamic is this is yet again we see a I'm assuming they have a romantic relationship between the mother character and this android that has replaced Zasha's father unless it's just all for pretend but this is an element we saw explored a little bit in the novel Inferno's Fall there's also a, a bit of that at play here which is I don't know it's just one of those things that the androids are always such a big part of the, the alien universe so to explore that dynamic between them and humans a bit I always find kind of intriguing I never took it to be romantic. Or at least when you find the twist going back, it's not necessarily romantic. No, I, I didn't pick romance up. I, it just seemed like they are a family working. It's like a surrogate. Like, what we need, they need the family, like the two-parent family bond kind of thing. So you're the surrogate dad now. <laughs> they needed two adults to be allowed to continue operating. The base was, I think, what they'd said. I mean, his name wasn't even really Dayton. He took his father's identity. But he does say it's complicated. A lot can happen in three months. And then he says goodbye, Batya. So I was like, I don't know. I, maybe it was just because we had read Inferno's Fall that I got those vibes. But I think he definitely developed feelings. I don't think they were necessarily reciprocated romantically by Batya. She was kind of business, like all business kind of, you know? <laughs> She, I mean, she was encouraging her daughter to be nicer to him because she wasn't being very receptive to that relationship. And again, that's that's always an interesting dynamic, right? When there's a parent and then there's a, a new figure in the picture, like... You're not my real dad. I mean, there was a great... There was a lot of that in here. Maybe not necessarily spelled out so bluntly, but it was... The tone was definitely there, you know? It's like you were saying earlier, Adam, the whole replacement parent kind of thing. There was very much tones of that in the way that... Sasha was behaving with Ian. Yeah, he. there was like a part where she was doing something. He's like, you never listen. And then when they get back to the base, Katya uh, tells her to go do something. And he's like, oh, of course you listen to her. And I was like, yeah, so there was a little bit of that. 
she did have a very close relationship with her mother and and at the end she loses everyone and even though she had felt unappreciative of of Dayton earlier you can tell at the end that she's not wanting to lose him as well did you get alien echo vibes at the end yeah a little bit too with her just you know being blasted off in, in that ship on her own but i mean it, it's just interesting again we have an alien story that's focused on on a young person and it makes me think about the future with romulus and how that's going to play out that's not that new though is it echo uh, dust to dust thicker than blood i mean hell even new child characters have been a huge part of aliens for a long time although i think maybe with romulus people might be overreacting to the young people because i mean you look at evil dead remake right those are supposed to be young people in their early 20s and that's pretty much who they can not to get too into that, but I do find it interesting with, with younger characters being their experience as opposed to like the hardened kind of people dealing with, with this existence for a long time. Well, and again, you know, Alien's supposed to be, it's not about scientists at the top of their field, it's about just normal people. I'm sure the space truckers are slightly a bit more intelligent than the film probably portrays them as, especially Parker and Brett, you know, but it is at the end of the day that blue-collar, normal person, nothing terribly outstanding about these people sort of vibe to it so i think younger characters fit into that pretty well and at the end of the day you know we were all generally very young when we got into the franchise so it's not like alien doesn't appeal or work with younger people younger characters something in relation to i think a lot of people when you think of alien you think grizzled weather-beaten the ships look lived in. So you see, you go back to the original, you had characters like, you know, Brett, he looks, his face has got like an old boot. You you kind of want that maturity level with them. Whereas you had a film like Prometheus, where you had these wide-eyed, that sort of inexperienced vibe to the characters. It didn't feel as plausible for a lot of people. They wanted people who felt like they've been out there at the frontier. They, they're bitching to one another. But they do forget, like, the Marines don't look old in Aliens. They, they look like 20s, maybe early 30s at most, maybe, which is, for their jobs, that would probably be, I imagine, typical. But you've got Apone. Apone looks older than them, but Apone is the guy in charge. People, they appreciate people who look like they've lived life. To in one in some ways they that can make them more interesting because they they feel like they have more of a backstory to them. So I think that would be more inviting to a, an, an alien set story for most people. They gravitate towards that. But yeah, a young person isn't necessarily a deal breaker for it. And I actually liked what Declan did with Sasha in this because yes, she might be young. We don't know how young. Probably late teens, I guess, or mid teens. But it's like you were saying there, Eric, it's them having a background, it's them knowing what, feeling like they know what they're doing. And I think that's put across really well in this. You know, even in the sort of opening issues when Dayton sort of walking Zasha through getting down there and, and getting the sample and what have you, and she's very already weathered. You know, I know what the fuck I'm doing. You don't need to babysit me. And again, a little bit of that can just be the, the stepfather angle to it but it also speaks to her experience and not being a greenhorn not being a helpless child it's somebody who's been pulling their weight in this cold and isolated place and you know feeling as mature as any of the others i think that helps that's why newt has been so iconic for all this time because they meet newt and ripley tries to coddle her and she, and she just says they're dead they're dead okay newt has had she's been forced to grow up really quickly 
she's plausible in that way and the audience relates to that mute she earns our respect on screen quite quickly and she comes across as a child who has seen these terrors and she's had to live through it because there's no other option so you get a character like this who yeah she's physically young but she has been out there on the actually equivalent to someone in the old days being on a pioneer type town and back in the day like you would have not lived very long so yeah i mean as long as somebody comes along and they have a mature mentality i think sometimes that is missing in a lot of tv shows and that there is a temptation to put a young character in there but they feel inexperienced whereas it if it's a character who feels they are mature for their age or something you can respect them because they've been living out there that's fine. You have to have that kind of thing where they earn your respect for that. People will feel like, oh, is that a red flag? They're doing a cast of young people, whether it's for a comic or whatever. But I think as long as the characters earn your respect by conveying that sense of maturity, is, I think that's fine. But it's difficult to do as a writer. You have to do it as a competent writer. What about you, Sis? Do you think that they pull off Zasha well in this as a younger character? Oh, yeah, I liked her as a character. She has a cool haircut, like me. Yeah, I mean, I thought she just, she held her own. She was just like, mom and stepdad are in trouble. And she's like, oh, I'm out of here. I know what to do. I'm going to take care of this, you know, kind of thing. And kind of like, I don't know. It's just like the, you know, not the, I I don't take BS from nobody because she was still like vulnerable and like needed help. But it was just kind of like I said, when she noticed like things were going down, she's kind of like, Oh, I'm, I see my opportunity. I'm out of here. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what, you know, I don't know if you guys can correct me if like Batia had kind of like a, a backup plan in case something weird happened. It's like, okay, here's our exit plan in case, you know, stuff goes down. So I thought she did a good job. I don't think she did. That was kind of a strange thing. A strange thing is Batia was like, oh, I can't believe they sold out to Waylon Yutani. I'm like, you weren't exactly thrilled with Talbot either. It seemed like she was willing to to work with the corporate guy, but then kind of when it all went to hell, it was just everyone for themselves at that, that point, I guess. Gotta get out of here. Chaos ensues. I have to say, I agree with Adam on that that would have worked better, her objection to Wayland Utani. If it had come across like the previous company she didn't mind working for, she'd have said something like, Well, at least they're not Wayland Utani because they do this kind of thing. Whereas it felt like it was just a name change. And I was thinking, Why are you objecting so strongly to them? It should be they've come in there. You said you wanted a, basically to get out of there, I think. And they are saying, yeah, we'd like you to get out of there. But she should be like, yeah, okay, packing my bags. But she was like, really, oh, how dare you? You can't do that. And she wasn't like a shareholder in the company or anything. It was a bit strange. I think it's more about the immediacy. So she was trying to use the Facebook sample as a lift off, but not necessarily Talbot showing up and taking everything and stalling them out, you know. She wanted to get the hell off the planet, off the moon, whatever it ends up being, with this alien baby. I wasn't quite sure on the timeline, because it, it seemed a little bit like she'd already been tinkering before, but then she injects it with something. I wasn't sure whether the later injection induced, because she didn't want to have the baby en route to orbit or, or in orbit or what. So that that's a little bit unclear to me. But, you know, that, that was more my reading of why she's so objective. She would lose everything. They were there. They were taking it. They were stopping her from getting out of the way with old Sonny Boy, whatever she had inside of her. Old Sonny Boy. That's the official name. <laughs> I mean, maybe 
he survives and in the next one we have another like hybrid we're taking bats what's what's her name what was the hybrid in the old dark horse comics aloise aloise nice this so is maybe we'll have a new, scum. the male version of aloise yeah they'll might what's the one in sill is it adam not sill species adam species two so come on let's have bets is old sunny boy alive i don't think he's dead i think he's coming back yep eric yeah it's Chekhov's gun. You, you've shown the gun above the fireplace. It's going to come back. So either that, or they're going to take samples from it if it is dead. Something like that. It will come back into play somehow. Okay, Susie. You know, I don't know because they did kind of like that that you know monster movie thing where it's like you don't see it die. It's just oh, it, it's it's dead. But then she leaves it in the little capsule with the mom while everything's crumbling and burning around it. So I don't know. It's kind of like is it the movie rule of like well you didn't see it die like you know it didn't get smashed. So I don't know because they did kind of have that whole buildup which uh, Adam and I were talking about how. Yeah, it's I'd been doing a little hybrid baby this whole time, and it's like okay, and then it's dead. Oh, okay, you know. <laughs> so I think it would, or they're gonna do the you know Ripley in the jacket thing, where it's like, oh no, we got its DNA. You know, we got the crippled, burnt corpse of it, and we're gonna clone it or something. I don't something weird like that. I think it's well and truly dead. It might play into a Dayton still being around. I hope I hope it's dead. I will go further. I will say I can almost see a panel in a future comic where this thing has grown up, but it's it's like Ripley going to see one of her clones and you know the sister. She'll come back and she'll see from the darkness there'll be a speech bubble saying, Sister and it'll be like hooked up to tubes or whatever and it'll be pleading for death. There'll be that thing where there's a spooky sister and she'll say, what, you? But I left you. And it will be something like that. Well, we won't have to wait very long to find out because the next arc starts, what, in just a couple of weeks here? November 15th. I'm missing Halloween. Well, well we do have the annual. So should we get into that a little bit? No, we haven't finished this yet. We're only a half hour in. So we've already mentioned Dayton. So this is yet another comic series where I did not see the Android reveal coming. So what about you Same. guys? Was it Eric? Eric was Same bamboozled time. as well. I, I also, I was like, oh, okay. So that caught me off guard. I had the thought a little earlier on. It's almost become cliche okay, at this point in the us. alien universe. No, it's just cliche where it's like, there has to be some Android reveal twist. Like it happens so much. So I agree. In that sometimes, yes, it is very much a off again. But when I don't see it coming, like with this, like with Dustin, when it does come, I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I didn't expect it. Maybe I should have expected it, but I didn't. So this works for me, and I'll give you a pass. As long as the head doesn't get ripped off at this point, I'm happy with price androids. I was saying, oh, I didn't expect there to be a... But when it happened, I did have that thought that instantly entered my mind i thought they're doing it again and i, I thought are we ever gonna get a new comic story where there is not i'm secretly a robot thing because it's starting to feel like a trope at this point and maybe it, with the movies i guess it is but i i don't know i'd like to see a story now where there is no android but if you're going to do it it's nice for you to go oh i didn't expect that and there was a kind of payoff with it like it did have story consequences in regards to the the girl 
because she'd spent all this time she wasn't aware, but it had been a protector. It wasn't an evil robot, which is uh, maybe a step up. So yeah, it's nice to, that I was surprised. But on the other hand, it, I did feel like, you remember the film AI, where it's like there's all robots sort of like being repurposed because they want to avoid the scrap heap. This was one where it wasn't like on a secret mission. It was just a defective unit that they repurposed. That was nice because that was kind of believable. Don't get me wrong. I, I see what everybody's saying, you know, about the, the danger of them being tropes. But on the flip side of that, it's also such a everyday average workaday part of human life at this point, it seems, in the alien universe where it's not unusual that there's an android on there and it shouldn't be unusual. I do think perhaps they need to maybe take a break from doing too many surprise androids. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> you know what it will be? It will, there'll be another story where you're led to think, yeah, this is the synthetic of all the shit, and they, they're injured, and they say, I was really a human all the time, and I tried to burn. That could be fun. It could be, but that's, the, that's if you're going to turn it on its head, it's going to be like secret reveal of a human. Yeah. But this was, a, it's about the reveal of it, not that androids exist. Yeah. A lot of stories are doing, ha, you didn't think this character would be a synthetic, and they're synthetic, so it's, yeah. Like we said, I think he's pulled off well here. And just to touch on the environment a bit more, I know you had mentioned that earlier, Natasha, but yeah, I did like the sense of isolation. I mean, the obvious comparison is John Carpenter's The Thing, right? His film, having the alien and ice planet world. I mean, just the, the xenomorph in an environment we don't typically see them is kind of appealing. It's one of the things I found interesting about the second arc revival is you had like the alien in farmlands and cornfields and stuff. And that was an interesting setting for it. And it was the same thing here for me. But in the the facility itself, as well as in the ship, it almost reminded me of AVP2 a bit because it was very like Nostromo corridor and stuff. So I think environmentally, the artwork was really solid. They're all at Space Ikea. We've been through this. There is one super chain of, you know, Space Ikea that provides all this prefabbed colony buildings. That's why it all looks it's fine. I really liked Andrea in this. I thought world building wise and authenticity wise he did a fucking phenomenal job at making it feel part of the alien universe recreating those sort of shapes and textures from the nostromo from hadley's hope it doesn't feel inappropriate i don't think to see these repeating sort of styles because again sure it's a head cannon but i do seriously think you know there is probably some form of space ikea i do I know I take the piss saying it as space Ikea, but I... Like pre-built, prefab, like stuff. Yeah, pre, pre-fab. Yeah, that's exactly what... That they just like, you know, they just have a crane and they drop it in, you know, and weld it together kind of stuff. Yeah. It's modular design, but I will... Can I just say a shout out also to the little dippy bird? They managed to put one in the story. <laughs> yes, I saw that. I think that was another thing to Andrea knowing the series so well. And Adam, I really wish we'd have got him on. I, we need to start doing more artist stuff, dual interviews, and have the writer and the artist on. I agree. Yeah, we we really should be doing that going forwards. But yeah, I think it worked great because so much of the visual style just feels so appropriate. It feels part of Alien without feeling too repetitious. Like one of the things I dislike about. I know we're going all the way back here, but like one of the things I dislike about book one is the visual language and a little bit of terminology, you know, saying things like blaster and this very generic looking weaponry and stuff like that. It has a little bit of a disconnect from the franchise that it's a part of. And when your artist knows the world so well, it really does add an extra layer to the ability for the artwork to just pull you in 
to the experience to make it feel so familiar, make it feel so appropriate. And the aliens were nicely biomechanical in this as well. They looked really nice. Yeah, I thought there was a, a quite a few good panels, uh, quite a few, good few shots. I mean, I, I know Adam sort of mentioned and I mentioned as well, there were some where it did, the alien didn't feel quite right. And, and for me, that was the panels where it didn't feel, the perspective of it didn't feel like it was really a part of the artwork. And that was only, it was infrequent. But, you know, there were some great shots of the alien. And I'm going to hope Adam isn't going to point out some overly referenced examples or anything like that. I haven't found any yet. I'm looking. There was no, the, no, no I'll be on it. I think, Wait, you want me to look? I'll look. <laughs> I think, Natasha, you and I both noticed the one panel, like the first one where you see them all frozen in the ice. Mm-hmm. That one was kind of, I don't know. but that, like, was, that was iffy for me. Overly static, obviously, because they're in the ice. But that, that was like one of the ones where it felt a bit like the layers weren't... It was layered. It felt like multiple Photoshop layers, and it wasn't all a part of that. It felt like they kind of stuck aliens everywhere. Like it wasn't like hand-drawn, like the whole panel wasn't hand-drawn, if that makes sense. There was a couple action scenes that were, it felt like, I call it like floating aliens, but yeah, that's like the thing where it's like the action is weird because it felt like they were just, you know, selected and put into the environment rather than drawn into it, if that makes sense. I agree with you. It reminded me of that shot in Alien where it's just it's just the stiff suit just floating outside the door kind of. Yeah. Thing. It might have been a callback to that, I don't know. But there are a number of alien panels throughout this are quite solid. So Really nice and really detailed, especially the film off. I mean, they they have to work with deadlines. Reference is used in art. Yes. It all depends on putting your own spin on it. You're making it not look overly referenced because then we're seeing something we've already seen before, even if just subconscious. And I don't feel like anything in this felt overly referenced. I think it's just that one criticism of them not feeling. It's like Sizzy says, you know, it feels a little bit floaty. That's my only real comment about some of the alien artwork in this. And it's only when there's lots of them on that one panel. That, like, the big chap, especially if you're doing, like, those old big chap type aliens, which have so much intricacy and whatnot, it's like, if you decide you want to commit to that type of look, things are going to get a little sloppy when you're sketching them because you're going you're gonna to realize how long it takes to just draw all that. And so eventually it's just going to turn into lines and hints of, like, these certain, like, you know, little details and then a couple panels that are the super detailed, like, money shots. And Declan Shalvey is an artist himself. He did a variant for the first issue, the facehugger encased in the ice, and that was cool to see. He also did the cover for the annual, which we'll also be talking about soon. So, yeah, it was kind of cool to see some of the writer's artwork in there as well. You always wonder, like, because there's only been a few real instances, I feel, where we've had a writer also do the core art, the interior art. Gabriel Hardman and... James Stoko. James Stoko. Yeah. It was a dead old bit, wasn't it? Yeah, that's James Stoko. Stoko yeah. I don't want to be, like, a negative, but this had, like, a ridiculous amount of variant covers. <laughs> I thought I, did, I didn't know. Yes. I think I only have the first, like, two issues and then i'm actually looking at the xenopedia and i'm like oh my god see i thought it had less than we've had in previous arcs but maybe they're just not all listed on marvel's site because i know there's this one company called unknown comics and they get a lot of exclusive variants for the marvel alien runs and i'm seeing one here that i had not seen before for issue two in this so most of each issue had like two variant covers from what i can see here i mean that's pretty standard. That's a lot, though. (laughs) 
Well, compared to the first, you know, the the very first Philip Kennedy one, what did they have? Like twelve fucking variants or something them, like that. Yeah. There were a few, yeah. I remember it being uh, talked about on the forums that how many do I have to buy? It was yeah. I don't tend to hunt. I've like no fucking awareness of the variant covers at all because I don't give a shit. I'll be honest. I'm not collecting them. <laughs> I guess I kind of contribute to the problem because if one has artwork I really like, I'll seek it out. Because so- sometimes it's like the variant covers are like, wow, that's that's great. Well, I mean, that's fair, and and that being the intent behind them as well, isn't it? Collect them all. There was Alex Malev did a variant for issue one who did the artwork for AVP Eternal, didn't he? Maybe. And then you've got Dave Johnson. He did one for issue two. And I think Dave Johnson did Alien Salvation, I think. So, you know, they, they have been getting some good names. And looking at the variants that Xenopedia do has up, I think there's only one I don't really like. And that's fucking Gabriel Del Oto. Like the other stuff, I think looks fantastic. But if you do go after them for the artwork, then fuck it. Yeah, that's your prerogative, isn't it? You know, there's some great ones, and that's the entire point of them. But, I mean, personally speaking, I'm only hanging them up behind me if they've got somebody's name on them. So I, I don't tend to hunt them down. But that's just personal. I know, Adam, you, you're part of the problem, aren't you? You like to get loads of the variant. Less so. Maybe it was just the initial excitement about the comics relaunch. I'm hunting them a bit less these days, just like Natasha. If there's like some art I see on a variant that I really like, then then maybe I'll get it. I just have this local comic shop I go to and Salt Lake called Black Hat Comics, and and they're great. So if there's a variant I want, I like to support them. But typically, I'm still kind of just waiting for the paperback when it comes out and getting these digital day ones. So you're not actually buying the physical floppies. I mean, I am, but it's I'm just not going out of my way to. I guess like I did before. It's like. When I see them, when I get around to it, I do. If I miss an issue here and there, sometimes I do. But do you know I have a pull list then? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I have a week. I have a normal pull list. And they just put whatever's alien or predator. Is there a comic shop pretty close to you? Or I have one that I've been going to since I was like twelve years. Wasn't getting comics at the time, you know, because I'm a poor child and afford things. But that's where I used to go for like my very first. I got my very first McFarlane from this this shop, um, Ground Zero, and all you know, all through the years I've gone there and that's where i've got all my comics from it's where i get my spider-man's from now it's where i get all my alien and predator stuff from he knows me very well at this point our comic shop owner greg from black hat he knows we are the ones that come in for the alien and predator comics and that's that's pretty much it and i just like physical media so i try and pick up all the trade paperbacks and then usually i buy the graphic novel too because sometimes i can't wait I have been supporting a local comic shop because when the big Marvel omnibus ones get released, I like the direct market variants for those typically with the older artwork. So I'll just say, hey, can you reserve me one of these? Because I prefer to just buy it from your shop. That's fair. I'm the same. I'd always rather buy local. Sissy, you you raised another interesting point that I've really started to notice lately. Not necessarily physical collectors, but there's a difference in how it looks on the paper and how it looks on the digital thing. And it's it's something I've only really become aware of recently. But there's a real difference. I'm not I'm not imagining this, am I? No, I I know what you mean, and I mean there is a just a difference between like the screen, your screen settings, the technology, and then just how it is on like paper. So I don't even know how they would actually just do it because I know like comic books are done like all digitally now. So they probably just send the files over. And whoever edits them, then they upload them onto the iPad app or whatever. Not sure how that works. Probably just printing them for the comics probably makes the colors different. I prefer the printed versions, I'll be honest. Yeah. 
I like reading printed stuff. A lot of this artwork is probably done digitally in the final master before before printing. Just take it from that. But well, I mean, it's part of the process. It just looks a lot better on the paper. Yeah. I don't know. I I like reading it on my iPad. It's cool to be able to just <laughs> zoom in as much as I want. And... Well, the, the the convenience of it is is nice. Yeah. Read but it anywhere. I don't know. It just there's like a certain texture to it on the paper. I, f- I feel like the last big thing to talk about is the Conflin. I feel like we should save that as part of the annual discussion. Should we? Well, it's, I mean, it's part of this. This comic goes into it a bit. You see this new variant of Alien, which we mentioned, the submorph. It starts fighting our traditional kind of aliens. And that is what the annual is about. It is a prequel to this one. It is, I guess, how these aliens ended up in the ice in the first place. But yeah, I did like the design of this Xenomorph variant, the Submorph. Like it looked interesting how it was all white and we had the white face hugger as well. And the annual poses some interesting questions that I'm kind of curious to talk to you all about. So I don't know, are we done with this one? Should we move on to the annual? So well, let, let's just say, you know, that there is a conflict in Thor. You know, we do see the traditional black aliens going and fighting. There's like, what, two? Two of the Submorphs in this? One gets off too fast and it's a little disappointing because you have this really fucking gorgeous intro panel the submorph above the you know one of the commandos very quickly often it's always a little bit anticlimactic to me but it was gorgeous art it was a nice uh, splash page but yeah i i agree with adam in terms of the design i like the aliens having different coloration because i think it speaks towards one of those lesser parts of some of the design mentality of some of the aliens the runner is more not brown what's the right word here sepia it's more sepia because the environment and the look of the film is all and and there was a whole thing around the development three to be that they do take on chameleon like pigmentation changes and stuff like that and i like it in here because it's something that would seemingly be inherited from its host you know a genetic adaptation for camouflage within the sort of snowy environment so i like to see this white form here it makes a lot more fucking sense than that irradiated bullshit from aftermath the ghosts you know more there is an old i remember back in the late 90s probably it started then after the um, release of resurrection and fandom did come up with this theory that maybe the alien does have this chameleon ability and that's why they look those different colors through the fourth film and it's, it's an interesting theory it was a thing in Vincent Ward's script, if I remember rightly. Yeah, more deliberately. But it, it, fandom was coming up with this um, like a way to retroactively explain, well, why did the one in the third film look more brown and the ones in first and second? It's, it's interesting because it would mean wherever they turn up, they would look a different colour, perhaps, just to blend in with the environment. But yeah, it, they do it differently in this. I think that's a nice trait to give them. But yeah, it's an inherited trait. It's, it's like yeah. a rapid adaptation type thing rather than like, you know, animals like breeding to adapt to a changing environment. They just like do it generationally. You know, it's just like, because that's like the thing is like they're super adaptive. So it's like, oh, I need to be ready to go and do some murder in this environment right now. I like that. Do some murder. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the last panel of this comic as well it looks like we see a submorph queen because they kind of show a traditional alien and a submorph kind of imposed on the planet as sasha is flying away it looks like a, a queen there in that last panel i mean was that just me that thought it looked like that i think that's what they're hinting at definitely well i mean it makes sense considering where annual where 
where we see regicide go. There's always got to be one. They got to do the aliens genocide type thing. I mean, it's kind of, yeah, it kind of has a bit of a swept back, you know, there's like the dimples that go off into the crown. And we see the furry spider thing at the end of the end of the comic too, right? Is that what's, what's yeah. under the water? The okay. one that like had fallen in initially, yeah. it fell into the water and it was kind of dormant until like everything started crumbling. Well, that's at the end of the annual, isn't it? No, I'm just looking back on, on this one now and you see it there on the second to last panel at the bottom. It's Thor. Yeah, where it says, what might, might we find? And it shows the sinking ship and there's this shadowy mass uh, there. And yeah, I think that's exactly. meant to be the, the spider critter that we see in the annual. I, I hadn't noticed. Yeah, very nice. Right, so I think we'll leave, we'll talk about Thor next and we'll talk about the conflict there because the entire fucking point of Regicide. So who wants to lead us off with a quick yay or nay? I mean, when we talked to the, the writer, we were quite excited with the prospect of a dialogue-free alien versus alien story like that sounded really cool and there's some things i feel this comic still does pretty well i still like seeing some of the ice world vistas i thought the new indigenous life forms were were kind of interesting but i don't know this one kind of i feel mixed about it i guess i don't know if i want to lead us off with this one because i want to see what you guys think first but i just thought it was okay I'll, i'll put it that way it's worth reading it's worth getting there's some hit and miss with the artwork in this one as well. I don't know if I like the Xenomorphs quite as much as I liked the art of them in Thaw, but there are also some solid panels, so it's still better than we got in the first two main arcs. But I don't know. I just felt kind of mixed about it. I didn't like it anywhere near as much as I liked Thaw. And I think it largely comes down to nerdiness and nitpicking in that I did not like the indigenous life. I wasn't crazy about those either. <laughs> Because they are far too big for the facehuggers, to the point where the implication is that a guy, one of the wolf creature spider thing is impregnated by swallowing two facehuggers. And then gives, <laughs> they crawled into its throat. And then gives birth to two. So that didn't work for me. I didn't like that. One out of its head. Can I just say, that's no different to the first AVP comic where there's a large snake thing and it attacks an egg and a facehugger is swallowed whole. And the next thing you see is predators come along and it's exploded from a chestburster. It doesn't explicitly show that. Yes, yeah, the facehugger goes into the mouth. So it's swallowed whole. And the next thing is the predator hunting party come along. Because a, a facehugger just needs to introduce its embryo into the host, no matter how. Now, if it's crushed in the process, yeah. But something the size of these things, I can imagine them doing their thing. Or if we're going so with the Alex White interpretation that. with, you know, Plagiarius, it can just spray that on the inside or whatever, but... I don't go with the Alex White thing. I actually really like the Plagiarius. But yeah, so yes, you can make it work in that way. But visually speaking, I didn't like to see one of these wolves just cough up some facehuggers and then we get one burst out the head like Sissy mentioned and then one out the chest. So I didn't really like that. I think artwork-wise, it's a lot more... And I don't know if it was the colours in the end that did it, because I don't know who coloured it. Ruth Redmond is the colourist. And it looked a lot more cartoony. Not stylized, not anime stylized, not like Thor was. It looked cartoony. It kind of reminded me of AVP, Thriller the Hunt. Yeah, and Thriller the Hunt was the less, the not-so-good. Compared to Civilized Beast the experience of them being two alien breeds 
going at it, I think was fine. I liked it. I enjoyed the no narration, just panels of aliens you know, having a having a go at each other was fine. And it was a nice visual experience in that sense. And there was some good panels. You know, there's that nice big two page splash of them going up against each other. But in general, yeah, it felt not quite as detailed. Like some of the some of the bits of the eggs, you know, it was it was just the cross and a little bit of coloring and stuff like that. And it it didn't really work for me. I think regicide, maybe like a five or a six. I don't know. It's it not one I'll come back to. I'll probably give it a two. What about you, Sizzy? How did you feel about this one? I agree with you about like the artwork and stuff. I was like, I like the artwork for like the main like comic a little better this one did felt like simplified maybe that was just their style or whatever didn't like the spider creature things they didn't feel very inspired to me they were too big sorry i'm being so negative but they i mean it was just like eh. they kind of just felt like we need to make up a creature to be on this ice planet here's the first draft (laughs) and then they just kind of like went with that i do really like graphic novels that are like creature or animal perspective with no dialogue. One of my favorite graphic novel series is Age of Reptiles by Ricardo Delgado. There's just no talking. It's just action reaction, I guess. I kind of wish, I guess it's alien, so you can't make them express too much, but I kind of wish there was like a a little more than just it felt like stuff ha- stuff was happening rather than like the aliens angry because we got this new imposter these aliens are different you know i guess there i wish there was a little bit more to it you know but i guess it was just meant to like introduce what was going on behind the scenes like before and after did i have a problem with the arachnid dinosaur things as a concept no i think as as Sissy said, they, they weren't as inspired as they could be because it's like an alien life form. Would have been interesting to see something a bit more thing-like or whatever. But okay, it, it's basically it's a dinosaur with a spider's body. That's an interesting concept, but they're basically more legs. What comes out of them, the submorphs, as we're told, they, they just look like a Jack Frost alien. I didn't like the design. There's this whole thing in fandom, don't go Kenner, never go full Kenner. But I think if you're coming up with a host that looks so radically inhuman, use it. Like, I remember seeing years ago, somebody had made a kit-bashed alien with, it looks like the gremlin spider. They put a spider's body on and it looks really good. And I was thinking, when I saw that, I thought, oh, are they going to do it? But no, these things don't look like they've come from those. I, I agree with you there, but I also completely disagree with you in that we don't go full canon, so do not encourage that. Yeah, but if you're going to use, like, at least give it extra limbs, something. Make it look recognisably alien. Or just make, make the host, you know, more polar bearish. Maybe, yeah, but the, these did not look like they came out of that. No, that's, that's, a, that's a fair point. As a story, I'm going to judge this two ways. As a story, a self-contained thing about alien versus alien, yeah, it kind of did the job. There wasn't anything which really made me look at Thor differently, which if you're going to do a prequel to it, should be the purpose of it. It just made me think, okay, that's how they were aliens there. I didn't need a story to really tell me that. In terms of the hook for the story, like the two aliens going against one, like it's basically doing a modern version of genocide, and it wasn't explained in genocide really. Here, it's kind of in contradiction to Alien 3, because if they're using the logic of, you came out of a different kind of host, we should have got in Alien 3 the dog alien not wanting to protect the 
one that's in Ripley because that would have come out of a human. So it would have been dog aliens and human aliens. I don't like you. You came out of different hosts. Why are they against one another? There was an, it was just an excuse to have aliens going against aliens. And the point of that, if you're going to do it, okay, at least make the combat look good. And you kind of like got these Jack Frost aliens looking like a big King Kong versus Godzilla thing. And I just thought, no, that's not alien. Like the closest we've got to that in the films is probably the Queen against the Power Loader. But a normal adult alien, it should be like Velociraptors type thing. This was just looked like Marvel aliens. It didn't work for me. The story-wise, it was okay. It felt superfluous. The biology of it, no. And the art for it just kind of... There, there was no Lovecraftian kind of vibe to it, which is... Aaron and me have said many times on this, if you're going to do an alien-centric thing, let's see, like, planet hives and things. Like, something like that. The most we got were just eggs in the ice, eggs in the snow, with a queen over it and... That could have been anywhere. It just it felt like a wasted opportunity. So it's I, I think completionists will want this, but for me, I just think it's in contradiction to the films. The alien against alien thing made no sense, and the visuals weren't very inspiring for me. I'm sure other people, there are other fans out there who go, no, that I, I love that, but for me, they didn't work on all of them. So no, that's fair. I think we've all pretty much said doesn't for us, haven't we? Yeah. I think there were some odd bits of the art too. Like there's a couple panels where the the main Gigerish alien has this huge underbite, mainly on page 22, but also on page 20 a little bit. And then there's this there's a splash page which is 25 where it almost looks like the the artistic style has changed for a single panel. It's very odd. And then the queen I noticed that too. 25. Yeah, it almost like looks like a different art style for the alien. Kind of tripped me out a little bit. There was a time where like the icy aliens like the design was a little different. I don't know if they just decided to look more simply. But also the queen like you can tell using the the AVP queen as reference here. But in other panels, it's just your typical smooth crest. Should we talk the conflict then? Yeah, there were a couple things I wanted to to touch on there as well. But you're right, Eric. I mean, it is kind of, we have these alien on alien conflicts before, right? Like genocide. But there's always a bit more to it. Yeah, yeah. It's usually just a different strain. There's something different about them genetically. But it's usually not just because it's from a different host. So that's odd here unless maybe these creatures have some sort of dna that's like in conflict with the normal aliens or something i don't know it is a bit odd but one of the things that i found quite interesting about this is that we have a submorph queen and the face huggers from that queen are affected so then we get submorphs coming out of humans in the previous comic thaw because of that so that brings up the question it's like well what what if you have like a predalien queen right like we see extinction is that going to lay different face huggers and are we going to get predalien type aliens coming out of humans if that was it what did we see when we were fucking about an extinct that last level of extinction the other day oh the predalien carrier right yeah and, and the carrier so i don't think this is something we ever noticed before no so adam was cheating on AVPX yesterday when we were messing around. Just to get a preview of the level. Having a, a fly around. And in, in the level, we noticed that the Predalien, it looked like they were Predalien runners and carriers and other bits and pieces. I don't know if the runners were... Everything on there seemed to be Predalien inspired that we saw. 
So there is very much precedence there, but it then... I mean, th- this was kind of something that we'd also been confused by with the Alpha. Because if you remember, Alpha in Bloodlines, in Marvel's first run, you know, was a human-born alien with horns and hooves and stuff like that. So one of the things at the time had been like, perhaps the genetic traits carried down from the Queen. Is that how Marvel's doing it here? Bloodlines was also a little bit more confusing because then everything that was born of the Alpha was a normal fucking alien anyway. So internal consistency wasn't there, but it seems very much like Thor is going down this idea of, yes, the genetic carry from host to queen back down to facehugger and then through again. And it's kind of an interesting thought in that that's also some of the things that was considered around the very first alien. And what has been going off in the prequels, the idea that they're doing at the minute is that the alien is, well, I suppose even as far back as as alien, you know, one of the ideas was that the alien looks biomechanical because it came out of eggs that came out of the space jockey, you know, so that biomechanicalness was carried down. And that's something that seems to be going on with what Ridley's doing at the minute or was going to do. But, you know, that that design lineage, you know, has been an idea has been around for a while. So I can get behind that. I just wish Bloodlines had been consistent with that if that was what they were intending to do. Declan seems to be being consistent with it here, and I can live with that. But the conflict, I'm still I'm still unsure of. Because, you know, the K-species were a genetically engineered variant that Dr. Kadinsky had fucked around with. The conflict in genocide was because the true queen mother had died, had been killed, and you had two new queen mothers, so you had two new strains going at each other. And the idea was that they were not actually red and green, uh, red and blue. The idea was that it was so subtle a change that you would never have seen it. Or at least that's how David Bischoff described it in the novelization, which was how I much preferred it over this obvious red and black kind of thing going on. Yeah, the, that was an adaptation of the comic, though, wasn't it? The comic just had it red and blue they looked exactly the same yeah. but then the, the novel had gone with the idea that it was only shade but you know they were completely different spun off strains competing to be the you know the the dominant one so i'm not sure how i feel about this i mean we eric points out obviously that why would the runner be protecting ripley if there was some aggression between the different hosts I mean, you can maybe say that perhaps it being the single queen there could have done some overriding and stuff. And we have precedence for a little bit of aggression or violence between two different hosts in Adam's very favourite Alien and Predator film. I was going to say, I imagine Adam's not too pleased about this at all, because in Requiem, they are clearly working together. Well, no, we, we see Chet smack an alien about. Yeah, but that's just like get out of the way. That's not. I like know, a... but it's it's still there. And it was going to be an alien covenant with the neomorphs. We're going to fight a xenomorph. That's a separate species thing. I never took it as the predalien was against the alien. Well, I'm not just... saying it was against. I'm saying there was violence there. I mean, there was an alien resurrection over they were all the same. Yeah, but that was tactical. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that that was meant to be because they were contaminated by human DNA. So that made them more individualistic. And well, I'm going to save my own hide at the expect. Yeah, I think that's head a little bit. Well, that was the point of the film. Like, I'm I'm not a fan of it for that reason. But that that was meant to be the logic. That was why they were acting way differently. I don't remember ever hearing anything about them being individualistic. The violence was very obviously a, a tactic to free them. 
I mean, we see it in AVP. I mean, they I mean, they know they're not going to kill the queen, but they do injure her so she can escape. So Yeah, but that's not trying to kill her. In this, you've got aliens trying to kill one another. Well, that's that's my point with the pred alien. It's not trying to kill one by whacking. No, but I'm I'm just saying, you know, it's more violent unnecessary violence perhaps resurrection or perhaps avp you know it is precedence for a little bit of violence but yeah i'm not sure i think this is the first genuine incident of it different needs wise and yes we can kind of get away with it being like well it's a new continuity it's marvel's thing well no because in destroying angels the one that comes out of the jockey is fighting all the rest yes very good point I was going to bring that up and you beat me to it. <laughs> You'd think I'd remember that, wouldn't you? Being one of my favorite fucking alien comics. No, yeah, they're all, same. They're all pointed out. Interestingly enough, in, in Dark Descent, there's a different way that aliens deal with much larger hosts. So that is kind of at odds with this. But how, how did you guys feel about the conflict then? You know, putting aside all these other incidents and whatever. Did, did it work? Did, was it satisfying? I think we'll have to see what ultimately happens in the next arc. As far as this one goes, it just it was aliens going at it, and you had this third species, which I kind of liked. I mean, just like with the Predator series, like it's kind of cool when you see new alien life introduced that's not the Predator or not the alien proper. So I didn't mind the furry spider critters. They were kind of cool. But yeah, as far as just the conflict here, I mean, we, we see that the aliens proper, they have... I guess, taken over this ship. They've been adrift in space. It crashes onto this planet. 30 years before the comic, by the way. 30-ish years. And then they infect these indigenous life forms. And what comes out of them is at odds with the xenomorphs proper. So it is, I don't know like if it works. Because again, we typically haven't seen that. Well, I mean, we have with the jockey. So like, it's just one of those points of expanded universe where you're like, Does this makes sense. I don't know, but it's aliens fighting. So it's cool. So whatever, I'm going with it. But I'd kind of like to just see where they take it. Yeah, kind of like you guys. I'm like, the aliens are enemies. <laughs> like, okay, I guess. Like, I figured at some point they'd just like join forces, but I don't know. Maybe they got different smells on them or whatnot. I don't think I really liked that the new aliens are always like bigger and badder and they are, you know, they're gonna just punch, punch all the regular aliens. So I feel like that's kind of like, okay, but like I said, this was only like a little, little thing. So I'd like to just see where they take it. Hey, let's see, maybe I'll change my mind, you know? (laughs) So not too upset about it. I'm just kind of like, well, okay. It should be pointed out that these new ones come from the same queen. Like it's her eggs. They open and they rush the facehuggers go off to impregnate these monster things. Like they're basically siblings. That it's not even they're from another nest. They're from the same nest. That's what makes it even more. Why are they? If if they'd have introduced even just an implication of this is the reason, whatever that would be, that's great. There's a plot device there. As it is, they are just at loggerheads just because they they hatch out of a different host. So as I said, it's it doesn't line up with Alien Three, and it means that aliens have got this critical flaw introduced. Where if you're in a colony and you know about the alien, and you say, "Oh, they have they've taken away people by you know those rabbits you've got, yeah, take them in. They're going to hatch, and you're going to have the aliens going to get them while they're busy with escape. It doesn't need to be there. It's just there to make them go right. Let's just have some visuals of aliens killing aliens. But it's just 
there for the sake of itself. It needed a, this is the reason why in Alien 3 it lines up and here it doesn't. And there isn't that. And that's what. I'm wondering if perhaps the 10 or 20 years between Thor and Descendant is going to give Dayton that chance for a bit of exposition as to I've been looking into this bloody bloody bar and genetics and bloody bloody. <laughs> By bar. the way, did you know? <laughs> I I think it's I think it's a chance for them to explore that. I'm curious to see if they'll take it. Yeah, if they do, great. But in this story, they should have had a story as as it as it stands as we, we are. Yeah, that's that's fair. We do see one of the submorphs molting into. Yes, because you have the two queens going against each other in. Um, but I mean, Eric's point, you know, stands. They all came from the same queen. True. I'm just saying we we typically don't see a queen molting in comics, so that's more been a video game thing initially. So that was kind of cool to see. But yeah, I mean, it kind of goes to the the genocide thing, right? You have two queens vying for power, so maybe one wasn't supposed to molt. It's not just queens in genocide, though. It's queen mothers, the empress ones. Yeah. Well, above the, we're going to try and work the empress into it. <laughs> They had those tendril things on that. They were implied to be not a queen, but something else. Even there, I didn't really buy it, but yes. Hierarchical. It's an empress is a queen of queens on a planet. And... Which contradicts the films anyway, but it, yeah, whatever. But it, it is what it is. And then the queen mother was like the queen of all queens of that strain, but yeah. So I think we're all in agreement there, aren't we? Thor, yay, regicide. It's not bad. No, it's not bad. It's, o- it's just okay. I would have liked to seen something maybe a little different, you know. I kind of would have liked it more if they got on. I, I kind of don't know why they always need to be fighting, which we always kind of talked about it. That, and I don't like kind of like the monster trope of just like I, I kind of said before where it's like, here's the bigger, badder one that's going to slap the originals around. I'm like, wouldn't it be kind of cool if they kind of like ran into each other and were kind of like, oh, you guys are, are bigger and badder. Let's go, let's go cause mayhem together. You know, it'd be like, you're an alien too. That's weird. Okay. Then those ones become like, cause they're so much bigger than the regular aliens. It's like, oh, these are kind of like the more brutish ones or whatever. And sh- shout out to the original Peter Briggs script for his version of AVP. Cause he had those lemur aliens and they were all, they were just one big hive. Mm-hmm. They didn't have what they just came out of other hosts. They were yeah, why can't we all just get along? Yeah. <laughs> why can't all the aliens just get along? That is a visual that we don't get enough of and it's a visual i do wish we got more of and that is multiple breeds of aliens together interacting cooperatively i mean we got a few cutscenes in avp2 and a few moments of it in avp2 which was nice and it's one of the things i do like about avpr a little bit you know is, is seeing old fucking overbite warrior together with hideous I love everything about AVPR. That's right. I know you too. <laughs> I got Natasha with me. I got my signed poster back there. Some of my favorite tweets from Natasha are when the t- she goes, yeah, tonight we're going to watch Requiem. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you all. It would be cool to see that more, to see different breeds of aliens working co-op. But again, if, if you're just looking to watch aliens fight, it's, it's a fun comic. It's a serviceable comic. There's just some some bits with the art where I'm like, why did we make this decision here? Like, this looks a little overly referenced. Again, not nearly as blatant as we saw in the first couple. Here's the final question before we close. Genocide or regicide? It's been way too long since I've read genocide, so I'd have to have fresh comparison. Okay, and that is, that is allowed. Genocide has de- better art. I don't think I'd agree with that. I think, I think they're both about meh. Maybe it's my memories. I don't know. 
I mean, genocide has gone on to be known among fans, but it's one of those comics where it's like, if I go back and read it, is it, is it going to be as good as its reputation? That had some weird things in it, too. <laughs> the novel over the comic every time. I think the red aliens are just kind of iconic with everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I like the, rock... white, the white ones, the icy aliens. Those are pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, the submorph are cool. I do it's like It's just them. making a contrast between the regular aliens, you know, a big visual contrast. They did kind of remind me of those Kenner alien resurrection aqua aliens. Yeah, but they were blue. Yeah, but I mean, same kind of idea. So what about you then, Sizzy? Genocide or regicide if you're revisiting? You know what? I'm kind of, I'm kind of with Adam here because I haven't read it in so long. I, I got it. I got it back there. I need to read it again. But I mean, I feel like genocide is proven to kind of have staying power with the fan base already. And regicide just isn't there yet it just came out so i mean we'll see maybe people will remember it so maybe as a whole package with descendant depending on how that yeah okay i think as it stands genocide the novel for me over because uh, bischoff ended up really elevating the comic opinion but that's subjective. yeah because it's you can't really because this is a, a sort of self-contained one issue one shot thing and genocide had a whole overarching plot with the Dino Zip and all the rest of it. The only thing comparable in them is that they both had the alien versus alien thing. So in that way, maybe we should say regicide or alien resurrection, because that's kind of a similar kind of length. Um, I will say it's the best annual we've gotten from Marvel so far, because we've only gotten three and the other two, not great. No, we've only got two. Aftermath it wasn't an annual. No? Okay, that was just a one-shot. So we've, we've only had the two annuals. We're putting together the annual. Regicide is definitely, because, you know, fuck Laroco, basically, <laughs> as well. It's <laughs> his diplomatic opinion. Damn! Looks like it works as, I, I think this is probably, yeah, it must be. It's, it's certainly Marvel's first attempt at a human character-free story. And in that way, as an experiment, it works. This has no humans in it. It is just aliens. It yeah, is you, you can follow alien-centric well. it story. Yeah. Yep, that's entirely fair. Did we done it? We all talked out. Anybody else got any more points to raise on or or regicide? Yeah, I kind of wish regicide now was kind of like more stand like a comic series rather than just a a one shot. Now that we've all kind of talked about it, it's kind of like oh, that would have been interesting. A more like kind of slow introduction to everything and then the story and. You know, that, all that stuff rather than just like aliens. They're fighting. The end. I just don't know if they'd let them do a full series without any dialogue. They probably had to sell that as a one-off experiment because that's been done before. Like the old Dark Horse one, right? Where it's like, isn't it just called The Alien or something, Aaron? The Alien was the one with the space jockey that tied up the first arc. There was one just called Alien, which was about a tribal alien species which encountered the alien that's one of my favorite comics but it wasn't again that's that revolved around that species it didn't revolve around like that had dialogue stuff in little box things it, yeah it was one of those things where there's there's people talking and it's kind of a narration over what's happening with the alien so i guess you can't really compare it to this there was an early one which is part of book one it's that theory of propagation thing maybe that's about, what i'm thinking yeah so the epilogue of the original run was called The Alien, and that's the one where there was this whole thing over the, the first three arcs where it was like the space jockeys are coming to terraform the Earth after the aliens have wiped everybody out. And that was like an epilogue that hooked up the space jockey. That was called The Alien. That was the one where everyone was a synthetic, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. 
that was they took that and they ran with it. There's Reapers, which was the one with the the ones who end up in aliens. Is that called Reaper? I thought that was a different. No, there's this two. There's two where aliens. Yeah, there's are one with an aliens. alien chef at the end, and it's just like about a face hugger opening, and then it's like I'm in my outer space cafe, and he's just serving up alien eggs. We're just we're just nerding out now. No, because I'm sure he's right. I'm sure it's only like called Alien as well or something, but I can't. We'll put it in the show notes. No, it's got to be on here. Nobody fucking checks the show notes. So anyway, Predator. Would you guys would have liked the the regicide better if maybe the, the like narration was was different <laughs> they or put better? A predator in it. No, if they put a predator. They've done the narration thing while aliens are doing their thing before. I was kind of glad this this yeah. tried something with without any dialogue at all. I was thinking of like POV because I just thought of another, once again, another dinosaur. Com- I think it was a four part comic series where it was like dinosaur POV, but like the narration was like what they were thinking like, oh, I'm hungry, I need to eat. Not as simplistic as that, but like that kind of thing. That might have been interesting, but not sure that would work with aliens. I mean, we've had in the the bug hunt anthology, we've had like an inner dialogue with the aliens, and it's not something we typically see much. So I don't know. I'd be interested. And it, it worked in bug hunt. That was Scott Siegler's, wasn't it? They've done that in the novels, or at least one of the novels. They kind of did like alien POV kind of thing. Well, they kind of do it with AC Crespin, who novelized Resurrection. Yeah. There's a little bit of it in there, but that's more, you know, that's Ripley influencing the aliens. Yeah. I'm look I'm looking for the volume three news post we did because I went through and named them all in those. Is it this one? Is it volume three? It's not volume three, Adam. Volume two. It's called Aliens. Alien. Oh, that's right. That's why I thought it was called the Alien. That was the one I said so, though. That's the one with the tribal aliens in yeah. it. So it's Aliens Alien. So now that we need correct. we need an alien alien. See the sequel. Yeah, uh, and we've <laughs> we've also had aliens the alien, so we can have alien <laughs> the alien alienified. That's gonna oh. like confuse so many people though. It's kind of like how all these recent comics they like don't have the subtitle on it, and I'm just like, where am I? I have to like organize them in my comic box. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't, I don't remember. Have we ever had a comic called Alienated? Because if we haven't, how's not not happened? The Alienator. I think people would just <laughs> not be aware that's the Alien franchise if they did that. So thank you everybody for watching or listening. You can find our podcast on all the major podcasting platforms like Spotify, Podbean, iTunes. Don't forget iTunes. iTunes is right. That's another big one. But our main hub of activity is, of course, avpgalaxy.net. And we've been around for more than 20 years, uh, building a fan community and reporting on happenings in the franchise. You can also find us on all the major social channels, Facebook, Twitter, X now. Instagram. <laughs> it's Twitter. Come on. Who's going to call Twitter. it X? Coomsai X. And yeah. threads. Also, we have launched our Patreon a fan subscription site, which really helps us out. So if you're not a supporter already, we do appreciate your consideration. Do we have our list of supporters? Yes, I have that up right now. So this can be our first podcast where we actually read off our list of supporters, which again, we very much appreciate it we had a much better launch to this than i think we were expecting i was a little more optimistic than you aaron but i was expecting like three people and two of those would be me and adam actually so i won't be writing off my own name but aaron you are the first on the list 
I wasn't the first to back us, though. Let me make that fucking clear. I eventually went, yes, I should back this as well. But... And I'm not going to say Praetorian Elder each time here. So for our tier threes, which are Harpers, we have you, Aaron Percival. We have Acid Rain 161, Bending Light, Chris Dazinger. I'm saying that right. Hunter Goats, Gates, Lucas, Sarah Evans, Tom Painter, Xeno Hunter 5669, Xeno Pred Alien, Zarnold Quigley. And now to our tier two, which is the Warriors and Hunters, we have Anon. Whoever you are, thank you. <laughs> Chris Osbrooks, Christian Matsky from Perfect Organism, our own Darkness, our own site administrators uh, pitching in. Javar Wayman, Josh Cambrian, Sinon Sogekihai. If I've pronounced any of these wrong, feel free to message me. Wow, Sizzy, you are also our tier two. Swine Rider, The Batman, Zach Walker, Ian Aelo. Okay, so we are on to our tier ones now, which are the Facehuggers and, and Young Bloods. Ian Aiello, J.F. Boyven, Steve Patterson. And what do people get? So we have some website perks. You get a nice little emblem next to your profile on, on the website. So we just came out with, with those if you are registered for our form. We do have other perks in the works. We're going to be doing giveaways. It rhymes. Perks in the works. That's right. I mean, there's um, already more on there. Yes, we have our alternative podcast, Genetic Memory. We already have one episode out of that, which is focused on the film Dark Star. We will be recording the second one shortly, which is on Dead Space. We'll also feature you on our new YouTube videos and as well as a dedicated page on our site, thanking personally for your support. And you also get access to a special supporters subboard on the forums if you registered on there. So that's just a private place for the people that are supporting and backing us. You get access to unwatermarked uh, 1080p uh, images on all the gallery and stuff like that. I think for standard users, it's watermarked. Uh, but supporters aren't. <laughs> Lost a bit of steam there. Free signed but autographs. We, we do have things in the works. I, I personally want to get some pins made. We're looking at revamping our store soon. Our tier three supporters get 15% off of, of any shirts we currently offer, as well as any other merchandise. Oh, no, but we're looking to revamp that as well. We're looking to offer some prints soon of some of the artworks we've commissioned. Well, we hate doing that bullshit, but thank you if you've made it through and listened to us ramble about why you, why you should help us. If you'd like to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter at underscore Corporal Hicks. If you'd like to follow me personally, it's at RidgeTop21 on both X and Instagram. There's three videos still uploaded on the beer and the brandy. I'm just Sizzy Bubbles pretty much on any social media platform, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching. This has been Corporal Hicks. Ridgetop. Xeno moving. Sizzy. Signing off.